Welcome to the D-Shift Podcast, where we provide inspiration, motivation, and education to help you transition from the challenges of divorce to discover the freedom and ability to live life on your own terms. Are you ready? Let's get this shift started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The D-Shift. And today we have got an expert on that's going to help parents, whether you're going through a divorce or not, to really understand what's going on for their kids and to help them communicate more effectively with their children. So I would like to introduce Dina Lynn Rosenbush. And Dina Lynn is, she got a big title here, lots of things she's done. She is an international bestselling author. She is a speech and language pathologist, an educator, a parent coach and mentor, and a podcaster. So you got a lot of things going on in your life, Dina Lynn. So thank you so much for being on today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. What you're doing on this podcast is really important work. I was divorced also. And I know that, boy, when I was listening to some of your episodes, I thought, I wish I had had some of this information when I was first divorced. And it is so important. So thank you for the work you're doing in the world. Oh, well, thank you. And I, and I've listened to a few podcasts you've been on, and I know how much information you share. So I'm excited about this. So so you've told us a little bit about, um, you know, that, that you have been a single parent. You've done um, gone through this, this divorce process that everybody doesn't want to go through, but anyhow... 50% of us are going to end up going through it at least once in our lives. So what what do you what brought you into this area of focusing on children and language and and brain um brain science? How, how did you get here? Well, okay, so I went to school for speech pathology. And so that's where I had started. And then when I became single, I went to work full-time regularly. Otherwise, I had been doing part-time temporaries. And while I was raising my kids and before I had kids, I was working full time. So, you know, I kind of did this, this hiccup or not really a hiccup, this uh, non-straight trajectory. But um, so that idea of having this background of brain science and teaching speech and language was really what I learned in college. It's not related to the divorce, but right. going back to work full time um, certainly was. And then in the school that I worked in, I was really privileged to um, not really have a whole lot of oversight. There wasn't micromanaging. And so what I really enjoyed was that I was able to look at the literature, look at the research and say, I think I want to try this with this student. I want to try this with this family. I want to reorganize my program this way. So I really was giving a lot of autonomy to be able to try out the research. And one of the things that I, I found, which is not any bit surprising is that when you involve parents, you make a huge difference for the kids. Kids come into our classrooms and we teach them, you know, like in speech therapy, you get them for a few times a week for 20 minutes at a time because you're taking them out of classes. So you want to crunch their focus on their learning and then send them back. Right. But you get into this situation where the kids need to first their language delayed and now they need to learn how to maintain the skills that they're learning in this environment, and they have to go out there and do it. Mm -hmm. But language doesn't get learned in a vacuum. So when, when I was able to bring parents in and they could work with me with their kids, they would see, oh, this specifically 
is what we're working on. Now, when I'm at home, I can use this phrase or I can use this vocabulary or I can use work on this speech sound, whatever it is. Right. And they can catch it and just have those little reminders, like a nugget of reminder for the kiddos. And the progress kids made was so much faster. Yeah. 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 And so so that was probably one of my greatest things to glean. And that's really the anchor of what it is that is why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. And I think the reason that when I heard you um, speak that your message really resonated with me because I was a behavior consultant for school districts for a lot of years after being a classroom teacher and then became a, a behavior consultant. And we we did the same sort of program. We pulled the behavior consult or the behavior challenge children um, out of the program, and they had to have a concurrent um, learning disability and behavioral diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Pulled them out one on one, small groups, like seven kids, eight kids in a class with the teacher and one or two assistants. We had speech and language paths. We had physical therapists. We had the whole works and. We invited the parents in at least once a week to come in and participate. And you're right. When you get that whole wonderful synergy going, the big changes happen really quickly. So, yeah, and it's amazing. I didn't know this about you. I didn't. I'm, yeah, I didn't have this background. That's really cool. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about then. So if I just gloss over something and our, our parents aren't going to catch that, you know, add that in. Sure. Because it's a it's a really big team that we're trying to help these kiddos and kiddos with behavioral disorders like you were working with um, the language teaching parents how to use the language with them right. that matches the language somebody else is using can make so much difference. Well, and I think the other thing, whether you're talking behavior or speech to have to normalize it and to have the whole family supporting the child. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. kids feel very isolated, especially if they have communication problems. We work with Lots of kids on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum, and where language was a challenge, or um, kids that have had some other kind of speech and language impediment, or like a physical issue, or something that caused challenges in speaking. Mm-hmm. So much of our world is communication, and if we're not oh, yeah. able to communicate, it's frustration, and then frustration leads to outbursts sometimes, mm-hmm. or kids withdrawing. Right, so it can be any of those things. Absolutely. So, so tell me a little bit about um, the role of or or how you see parents and kids communicating more effectively together um, just in day-to-day interactions. All right. Thank you for that question, because that is really where I put my bread and butter. You know, like I, I want to help parents to develop the connection. And so the connection with your children, it really comes out of that language, comes out of that communication that you use. And when you're able to pick words that emphasize you're curious about the child's life, so often the behavior that is like terrible turns out to be, oh, that they were exploring. So I don't know if you heard the podcast episode that I just put out. One of the examples of this was a little boy was... um, hitting blocks at his dad's house at the time he was in third grade and he had taken a hammer and he was smashing patio blocks and his dad comes around the corner. What are you doing smashing my blocks? And the child just freezes and he didn't even realize he had been smashing the blocks. He was, and later on, as we became curious, we talked about it. He's, you know, coached him, all this stuff. He went back to his child and he asked him softly, 
Right. What were you thinking about when you were smashing those blocks? And, you know, so you get into that zone where the child actually is. And then what we learned was that in music class at school, they had been doing mallets on wooden blocks and listening to the varied sounds. And the different blocks were different sounds, right. different sized blocks, excuse, excuse me. And so he tried a hammer on these cement blocks and he found the same thing. As they broke, they were different sizes. And so he's smashing them more and more as he's listening to this sound change. Children are so much in this moment right now. Right. And when we come at them thinking about how I would be thinking when I was behaving like that, it's not the same. So when we say, why did you smash my blocks? What made you want to smash my blocks? It's irrelevant to the child. And they're stuck. Right. They they don't know what to say because that's not where their brains were. Right. Their brains were, or this boy, his brain was just listening to the sounds. And that's all that was cool. And it makes perfect sense when you know that they were doing this in school because right. yeah, the kids just trying something do. <laughs> Right. And I think our kids do things like that. The more and more I I explore, and I'm a grandma now, and the more I watch my grandson, who is almost two, he does crazy things. All of our kids do crazy things all the time, don't they? And when we can stop and try to figure out why are they doing that, but not say, why are you doing that? But rather get in there and try to figure out what's behind their eyes. We find out a different story. Right. And then and then in that, we build connection because the child has learned, oh, you know, like I'm telling you, you're interested in me. And then they eventually, you know, after you validate them for what they're doing, that's really cool sounds. You can say to them, but don't ever break my patio blocks again. Right. After you validate the child, then we can um, correct the child. But that validating and listening needs to come first. And that's why my podcast is called The Language of Play, because this mindset is playful. Our children are exploring. And when we use that mindset of exploration and we realize our children are always in that mindset of play, which is curiosity and discovery. And I wonder if and, you know, like that's fun or that's I enjoyed that or this is designing or whatever it is, that's playful. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I always I always. Every behavior has a reason. It may not mm-hmm. make sense to you, but to the individual ma- using that behavior, it's serving a purpose. Um, yes. You know, and so really getting curious about what is that purpose for you? And mm-hmm. I even say that, you know, with the women I coach going through divorce, I often say to them, instead of getting mad that your spouse is doing that, get curious. Like, what's that effective for that individual in that situation? Because once you can understand, like you said, with this little, the little one smashing the blocks, once you understood that, then guess what? Mom and dad can create a place and bring in materials and support that learning and encourage the child to, to proceed. Cause Hey, this could be a musician in the in the bud stage, right? Or right. an architect or a designer or an engineer, who knows, right? So you mm-hmm. don't squash that. Right. And it also, if you're able to pause and get yourself back into that state of, okay, be curious and calm yourself from what made you mad, um, what you find out is a reason. And often the anger that you had for what they were doing just melts away. Yeah, it evaporates because then when you understand it, you know, it's not about you. Right. And we tend to think, 
oh, what are they doing to us? Why did they do that because of us? Yeah, yeah, it's not about us. It's not even really that much about him. He's like just listening to the sound in that case. And that happens a lot. And another thing is that our children don't have much language sometimes. So like my grandson, who is almost two, he hurt his finger and he is just angrily um, just slapping at the door of the house and all this kind of stuff. And we're like, what's going on? And, you know, like, why is he doing this? And so we just sat down on the ground and said, Owie. And we put our hands up like, where? You know, like, what are you talking about? Because he wasn't able to say much because he was so mad. And finally, we found out that it was his finger. And then we just said, where? And so then he he takes us and he walks down to the car and he says, come. And he goes down to my car and he had um, hurt his finger on the door of my car. Um. And so but what he's saying is like he was scolding and reprimanding the car. Right. Right. Sure. <laughs> and so, again, you get a window into how mature is the brain? How what do they understand? And so then it's like, oh, he wasn't trying to hit the house door, which is what he was doing when we first sat down and said, what's going on? But rather then he was scolding the car, which helps <laughs> us understand that, oh, he thinks that the car did something to him. Right. You know, like once we understand how mature our kids are, we can get behind their eyes and then we can educate from there and we can have compassion from there. And then in that compassion, we're going to build that trust, that connection that really when it comes to behavior, then allows them to listen later when they're going to have a true temper tantrum about something because we have built in this regular language with them so that they know I'll be believed, I'll be listened to. And then they start to listen. They start to believe. Yeah. Well, and that's that, you know, thank you for sharing that example, because I think that makes it really clear, like both of those examples together kind of produce a holistic picture of what this might look like in in real time actually happening Mm -hmm. in your world. So why do you think and I'm not I'm not blaming parents because I think a lot of times we we parent the way we were parented. And let's face it, things have evolved a lot since when I was parented. Um, so why do you think parents tend to re- react to a child misbehaving? Let's say a temper tantrum in a store. That's a really yeah. good one, right? Okay. Tell, yeah, tell me t- a little bit about that. Yeah, I can take that. Um, that's a good question. And it happens all over. And I think you're right that there's a lot that we know now about the child's brain, the child's understanding. And none of us were probably parented the way we want to parent aspects. Yes. Sure. But not, you know, but the more we learn, the better we are at it. Right. And I think that there's a lot more learning that has been done. So one, you're absolutely right. If we're not thinking about what it is that we want to become as a parent and who we want to be, our default setting is going to be how we were raised. Right. And so in the moments, we're not thinking about our direction. We default to our experience. So that is a certain thing. Um, but the other thing, well, there's several things. Another thing is the speed of life. We have so much happening so fast, and especially for your single parents. I was a single parent for from the time that my youngest was, let's see, it was 2003. So figure out the math. So I've been a single parent, you know, and I raised them. And, you know, there are some glories in that, in that you don't have to uh, decide with anybody. You wear the pants, you're the boss, that's that, what you say goes. And sometimes that makes it easier. But the majority of times, I think 
it's a lot of pressure and you're trying to do a lot of things. And so sometimes we just don't stop to slow down for our children at our children's pace. And sometimes we don't feel like we can. So that's, that is a big, very real reason. Right. And, and it's, it's really about navigating it on any given day and learning how to make repairs. Because when we, when we mess up, when we say things that we don't need to say, when we do things that are um, less than we want to be for them and for ourselves, we just need to know how to make an apology and do that. So that, that might be another topic for another time or whatever, but that concept of making an apology, making a repair teaches our children how to do it. Yeah. So that's important. So anyway, back to your original question. So one reason is the default settings we have at home or from our upbringing. The second reason would be that speed of life. But here's where I want to put a lot of energy is that we as adults, um, and we do this at every age, we tend to think when we see somebody doing something from the perspective of, if I did that, I would be thinking or feeling this. Sure. And so we assign it to the child. Like the blocks, for example, if I was smashing patio blocks with a hammer, I would one, want to smash the blocks for some reason, or two, I'm just really, really angry. Right. 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 I can't think of another reason. Malicious intent or getting back. Revenge. Yeah. 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 We put all the only things things I can think of. Therefore, I ascribe that meaning, that intention to the child. And I think that when we're in a grocery store um, and the child is acting up, sometimes it's, you know, well, they, for them, it's just that moment. You know, that's that's where they're at for whatever reason. Maybe they haven't eaten. Maybe they're like they want something. Maybe temper tantrums have worked in the past. All, all kinds of reasons, whatever. For us, we can think, why are you embarrassing me? That's it. Yeah. Uh huh. And so we respond from that perspective. Now the child doesn't know they're embarrassing you. They have no idea about you. <laughs> they can't think like it's that. All Their brains aren't them. developed enough to think <laughs> about that. Right. They're, if they're having a temper tantrum in the grocery store, they have no idea what you're thinking, no idea what you're feeling, and no capacity to understand those things. So it doesn't matter if you've embarrassed. That's not part of the equation. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so, and I think that is that insight alone should help, I hope should help parents to understand. And don't worry about what other people are telling you to do or those oh, there's a wealth of other people, people. <laughs> say things. Leave those people out of it. The, they're out of the equation too. So they are. And you know, the sometimes you will have the wonderful person that comes by and encourages you when you're a parent and your child is acting up and they say it'll pass. Yeah. Or my kids did this too. Yeah. Hang in there. Yeah. You're doing a good job. And I wish more people would say that because yeah. that's what we parents need when we're in those situations. Unfortunately, you have judging eyes. You have people that actually speak up. And my experience, though, has been that when people give advice like that, they're the people that didn't go through it. So when I got my divorce, the only people that told me about divorce, like how to do it, were people that hadn't been divorced. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there is a lot of that going on. Yeah. And it is important to be able to put that boundary up around yourself to realize, hey, this situation, you know, does, these other people are not relevant. Right. And my child cannot understand my feelings in this situation. So I need to get behind their eyes. What is it that they're wanting? Right. Or 
you know, and if it's a candy bar and you've said no, what they're not saying that they want is to learn boundaries, <laughs> to learn your no means no. Because when they press, they're really seeking to know where you stand. Is your word good? Does yeah. your no mean no? And so when they press like that, the unspoken thing that their their emotions inside are saying is, is your word good? And if we can rephrase it in our own mind to let them have their temper tantrum and just think, yes, I am teaching them that my word no simply means no. Right. And I can still smile because I'm remembering they're learning right now that my word is good and they can do all their stuff. And that self-talk though takes practice. It doesn't just come because you heard it on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I was thinking when you were saying this, I, I think I always feel such compassionate and I, I don't have any children of my own, but I have, I mean, I've been with other people's kids for most of my professional career. And one of, I always feel so sad or so um, empathetic towards moms or dads on an airplane with infants because they are going to cry at some point in time. And you can just see, you know, people get so upset and so pissy for lack of a better word, you know, just making these glances and comments and everything else. And I just feel so sad for parents that are having to deal with that. And, you know, if I, you're right. So if I, I try to say to people, maybe, maybe you can't reach them then, but you know, when they get off the plane or something, just say, wow, you really did a good job on that. And babies yeah. are babies and they're going to do what they're going to do. So um, mm. I love what you're telling people. Do you have, we're almost out of time here, believe it or not, but do oh, my goodness, one fast. <laughs> kind of quick and down and dirty tip that maybe a parent could use if the child is having a temper tantrum in the store, is there anything that you think like is just one quick idea that you have yeah. might help diffuse that? Sure. So in the store, the I guess the first thing that I would think if we're specifically wanting to be in the store would be to work on the ability for yourself to be able to not worry about other people, but to focus on what is your child actually learning? in this situation. They're, they're learning whether your no means no. Right. They're learning that you love them. They're learning that they can be accepted even if their behavior isn't what you want it to be. So you're, if you can focus on what are they learning and try to zoom out high and look at the situation and remember that, then you it'll help you to smile through their behavior because you can remember what it is you're learning and then you can choose how to respond differently. Right. And then you can have all the conversations that go along with that and all the expectations. In the car. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next time you go into the store, you can set those expectations again. And, you know, it's kind Before of- Before you go in the store. Yeah. Next uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Kind of that rinse and repeat cycle, right? Kids don't learn anything the first time things happen. They have to go through that repeat process to, to really um, get it get it solid, internalize that behavior and stuff. So yeah. And to be curious what it is that happens. So when you are out in the car afterwards and you talk about it, to ask those questions in that soft, gentle, easy voice so that they feel okay. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that message. So um, Dina Lynn, what do you think is, we've talked about a lot of different things here. So what do you think is the one thing you would like moms or dads listening to this podcast um, to think about when they take out their earbuds and go on about their day, what would you like them to remember? 
that you can get behind the eyes of your child and you can understand what their motives are. If you get into that posture of play, and by play, I mean like exploring, being a discoverer of what it is that they might be thinking. If you can get into that mode and try to watch them and, and try to understand from their perspective, that curiosity mindset, yeah. if you can go there, you can get behind the eyes of your child. You can understand what it is that's going on. It is possible. And then the whole world looks different. Yeah. And, and you will parent different. Yes, absolutely. I love this. And I love that insight. That is so important. If people want to get in touch with you, um, learn more about what you do or work with you, what's the best way to, to make that happen? Thank you for asking that. That's wonderful. I love to work with parents. Um, yes, my podcast is The Language of Play, and you can hear it on any of the major outlets. Um, and so hello at The Language of Play is my email. So you can email me. And if you want to learn more about me first, you can just listen to my podcast and of course, email me. That would be great. Wonderful. And I coach parents and that would be super. And please, please, please take a listen to the podcast, The Language of Play, because it's fun. You're, you're going to like it. It's it's <laughs> fun to listen to. So, um, and I love some of your guests. So uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Dina Lynn. You've shared a wealth of information. And I want to thank everybody for listening in to this episode of The D-Shift. And don't forget to tune in next week. Thanks for listening and supporting The D-Shift Podcast. If you would like to attend live trainings by our amazing guests and have a chance to ask questions and get answers from our experts, join the D-Shift crew. For more details and to sign up, head on over to www.divorcecoachforwomen and click on the podcast page.